0: Hello and welcome to uh, Wallet Street, the podcast. Um, Thanks all for joining. I'm super, super excited for today's topic. We're going to be talking about um, buying crypto and what that all means. Um, There's been a lot, obviously, in the news, both recently, but over the past few years, and I still get a lot of questions from friends about what that is, how does one buy into it? What does it mean? Um, so that's what we're going to deep dive on today with my guest, um, Aya Kantorovich, who's head of institutional coverage at FalconX, um, And FalconX is a digital asset trading platform. So I'm very excited to get to talk to her. Um, just to note, as always, that um, this podcast does not, or what we're going to say on this podcast isn't Um, any financial, tax, legal, or accounting advice, so we are not financial advisors, and um, just want to make sure everyone's aware of that heading into the conversation. So Aya, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself or, or mention anything before we get going.
1: Yeah, thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so excited, as you mentioned, this has been the hot topic of the last, uh, I would say a couple of months um, to the point where, and I don't know if this ages me, but most of my Instagram uh, direct messages are all about where do I buy Bitcoin? So um, it's it's definitely been super top line for for friends and family. Uh, but my name's Aya, as you mentioned, uh, I work at Falcon X. Uh, We're a full-service digital asset trading platform um, offering a majority of cryptocurrencies across different jurisdictions, uh, primarily for white-glove institutions uh, to service them around the world. Uh, So really excited to be here. Previously, um, I was at Pantera Capital, uh, which is the oldest and largest cryptocurrency hedge fund uh, in the U.S., run by Dan Moorhead. Uh, and I was on the venture side there. So it uh, feels like I've been uh, almost 10 dog years in crypto. Uh, so really excited to dive into just evolution and, and where crypto is today and what we're super excited about as well.
0: Yeah, and I think um, that's probably a, a good place to start is, is um, your comment around people reaching out to you, particularly <laughs> recently with the, the um, kind of bull run that Bitcoin has had in particular on the last few months about where to buy crypto or how to start or what it's all about. And I've also gotten a lot of questions from friends, particularly um, as we're both females on this podcast. I have a lot of female friends. um, I feel like there's uh, more, I get more questions from female friends um, who are curious about it and want to learn more, but feel sometimes they think a bit um, uh, like, Intimidated, maybe is the Mm -hmm, word, mm -hmm. um, and not really sure how to start. So I was really excited to have you, um, who's also a fellow female in the industry, because there's not many of us um, to (laughs) participate in the conversation.
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely an area we need to work on. But to your point, definitely, I think, you know, what uh, I've seen is there's, uh, and we even spoke about this, there's a higher risk aversion with women. Um, and, you know, it's it's why you have companies like LVEST who have succeeded so well uh, in the traditional finance space. And so we're moving into crypto and you need that same level of engagement and interaction and education and um, just conversation and somehow integrating it into conversation with folks um, that i think uh yeah i'm super excited to have that conversation with you and uh you know slowly my mom is inching her way in as well so we're 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 getting there
0: awesome Um, so let's start uh i guess going back to when you um first got interested in in crypto um Did you first get interested in in crypto or in blockchain or really what sparked your interest in the industry and um, into this universe? Because as you said, it's it's new and every year in crypto feels like 10 years in another Mm -hmm. industry um, because it is so new and evolving so quickly. So, um, you know, how did how did you first get interested in it?
1: Yeah, great question. So I, back in 2017, I was uh, consulting in DC and one of my managing directors uh, was from Venezuela and he had to purchase for a family member a textbook for college and it was only available using uh, Bitcoin because of the Inflation at the time. And so I remember he was explaining this to me and uh, And we'll probably dive into this as well But it was incredibly difficult for him to purchase the crypto send the crypto and then buy the textbook Mm -hmm. Uh, and so um, He was walking me through this process and uh, Kind of fell down the rabbit hole after that where I was like, why would someone need to use a digital currency in order to purchase? um, You know something like as easy as a textbook as opposed to the you know country's currency Uh, And what does inflation mean? and what are our alternatives to that and um, so really kind of started more in terms of the digital currencies and diving into the underlying technology and kind of separating this, uh, these two between digital assets um, and then the blockchain technology and utility of it and, and what that means for the industry um, which I think is, is super cool and, and kind of boiling down into even just the um, naked question of what is money? Uh, And how do we define the money that we use today? Um, And something that I always recommend uh, for people to to use and and read is uh, Robert Breedlove has a wonderful uh, piece on this. Um, It's a bit long, uh, but it's a wonderful piece around Bitcoin fundamentals uh, and just the history of money. Uh, So if we were to go back in time um, and think about uh yeah sorry go ahead
0: no i just i'm gonna write that down and i'll i'll post it um uh as part of when i post the pod but that's great i've not read it myself so i would love to read that piece
1: yeah yeah absolutely there's um both a podcast on it and i think there's just like powerpoints boiling down the the main points um but he does a great job just laying out the fundamentals uh historically as well mm-hmm.
0: sorry keep going
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay you got it um So I think uh, one thing that I really like about um, his thesis is breaking down the property of money into five specific points. The first is divisibility. So when you use money, uh, can you divide it into, let's say purchasing a candy bar with 10 cents uh, versus a dollar? Um, The second is durability. So money, it's super important that when you're out in the rain or when you're traveling, uh, that it remains intact and in one piece. Um, the third is recognizability. So this is super important. Uh, the ability to counterfeit uh, the money um, and just verify its authenticity. Authenticity, mm-hmm. um, And then there's portability. So uh, very similar to durability, it's just the ability to move uh, and secure money in an easy way um, that's also uh, affordable. And then the last and most important um, is scarcity. And so this is, you know, the resistance to uh, supply inflation also goes back to counterfeiting, um, but really boiling it down to to those five properties. So if you look at just like the history of money, yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say. I mean, I, I, and this is maybe this is where you're going. I, I don't know, but is why um, you know we saw gold as such a rise and such like the standard for so many years is like it exactly. really fits um, all of these kind of categories and um i think the the other piece is like money also is kind of a social contract in a way where everyone's buying into the fact that this particular asset um or this thing is is going to be like the the new liquid like we're all in agreement that this retains <clears throat> value and that will have hopefully some value in the future and when that social contract starts to erode like for example in countries when you see um, huge inflation and people are trying to pull out mm-hmm. of the currency, maybe move into dollars or gold or something else um, is when that kind of that money loses like what it's there for. Right. Or like it
1: loses its value and purpose. Um, exactly. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it, um, I, I kind of think about it as what's the value of trust. Mm-hmm. And so if people trust the underlying Uh, infrastructure of money, then you're great. But as you mentioned, like when there are suddenly cracks in that trust, uh, people don't use it as much. They'll look for alternatives and therefore uh, it's not as valuable anymore. Um, And and so we've seen that, as you mentioned, with like, you know, countries with very high inflation.
0: Um, Yeah. And I think what's interesting about um, this particular, you know, the rise of, of, blockchain as the underlying technology behind crypto is um, and, and not all currencies or uh, not all cryptocurrencies, I guess, follow this, but is the decentralization aspect, which I think is an interesting um, uh, what's mm-hmm. the, uh, opposition to how central banks manage money today or how central banks yeah. manage sovereign currency today um, and how Absolutely. there's power in that decentralization in a way. Uh, yeah
1: yeah absolutely it's so, if you think about it, I think Bitcoin was the first uh money property of money that was ever developed uh, that had zero inflation uh, and zero ability to have future inflation because uh there's uh, there are only twenty one million and uh that's a narrative that people we keep hearing even um, you know at Falcon X when we're seeing more institutional capital coming in uh, it's it's a hedge to inflation, yes. Uh, but it's really because people are seeking something that's scarce Uh, and that always happens because the value rises as more and more people, as you mentioned, buy into that um, and add value to that. So uh, even even what you said, this aspect of decentralization, um, you know, we we used to have gold-backed currencies uh, and that moved and was monopolized more and more by governments who you know, suddenly wanted to spend significantly more than the gold that they had. And so you saw a break away from gold-backed currencies now to dollar-backed uh, currencies and fiat. Um, and as I'm sure you've seen, the dollar index has just been decreasing since March of last year. And so um, when suddenly that happens uh, and you know, we have trillions of dollars being pumped into the system, you start to think, okay, where can I store my assets? Uh, that is, you know, both the five properties of of it being durable, portable, um, recognizable, scarce, uh, and uh, divisible. Um, but that scarcity aspect is super, super important. So that my value suddenly, you know, continues to go up or stay the same.
0: Um, and yeah, I I do want to get to actually like going into crypto, but I, this part for me is so intellectually fascinating. Um, because I also think about how, um, you know, some of the, you know, particularly Bitcoin is, is what comes to mind, but, you know, is it a currency and a value and money and, and a transfer of, of value as you're exchanging um, that asset? Or is it like a, an asset that you really just store value in and maybe sell later where you're not actually actively, um, you know, using it as um, as a transfer of value in day to day? Life mm-hmm. and I, I, think my, I mean, my personal thesis. I would love to hear your thoughts. Are I don't know if we've quite decided which way crypto or Bitcoin will go. Maybe it'll be both. Maybe it'll just be one or the other. Um, I, I'm just curious about your thoughts. Are there?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, I think about it. It my thesis on it is that no one today is purchasing using gold Uh, so it's very much you know store of value um, where like in the same way that i hope to put money away in my 401k um, just as asset allocation uh for you know like a savings fund or uh like a uh managed account um you know as opposed to you know buying stocks i i feel safer with this store of value here Mm -hmm. with digital gold Um, And the reason I also think Bitcoin will stay a store of value is just because right now it's incapable of processing more than a certain amount of transactions a day. And so we haven't built the interoperability that people love using that word. But the underlying it's really hard to just build underlying infrastructure that can process what American Express and Visa process a second, you know, in terms of card transactions. And so um, for that alone. Uh, that reason alone, I think it'll stay a store of value. But um, I think the other currencies is where it gets really, really interesting uh, because the sky kind of becomes a limit in terms of what you tokenize. And so these, in my mind, are the utility tokens, the ones that you're actually using um, and have not just a value associated with it, but um, they have like, you know, you, you're getting something in in return in terms of you're using it for a process uh, that has like an if and statement. And so that's kind of where Ethereum and some of these other protocols have really shown. Uh, it's the, and, and specifically the industry of finance um, has been the best use case is that, uh, you know, when you enter into an agreement with someone, let's say I'd like to buy 10 apples from you, on January 31st at 10 AM, then you can decentralize that using code uh, for just an easy if and statement um, and then use the utility of tokens uh, to that I purchase pay you on that 31st, the value of those 10 apples. Um, And it executes in the future automatically uh, without needing any intermediaries. And I think that's where it gets really cool. Um, And it it can go anywhere from just like a financial uh, agreement to, you know, securitizing assets where, you know, it, it, the idea is how do we democratize, um, you know, asset management beyond just, you know, the, I would say like the UBS asset management world of today. Um, and, and for, you know, anyone that has, you know, a cellular their device can, can have a portfolio of assets. Um, and I think it goes back to your point as well, uh, really, really focusing on um, areas of the population women uh, and people of color um, where uh, historically that isn't an area where asset allocation uh, is a, a big stronghold and I think there's a lot of growth um, that crypto can do to benefit uh, that that group
0: yeah that's that's such great points that that you've made um, particularly about uh, some of the utility applications of of this technology and I myself worked. I was a um, worked in the back office operations settlement of a hedge fund in in a prior life, and it is shocking how manual a lot of this stuff still is. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see how that gets applied. Um, And I, yeah, that would actually be. I'm sure it can be its own topic all on its own. Um, I was just gonna say, (laughs) it's a fascinating uh, other yeah to the puzzle. Okay, so going back to, I guess, we keep getting sidetracked, but it's just, I find it so interesting. Um, I guess I'm really a nerd, I'm having so. a blast. So, <laughs> um, Okay, so you, you get interested in kind of Bitcoin, blockchain, um, yeah. crypto. When do you go from just interest to more formally like, okay, I'm going to try this out and actually try to buy it or have some of it? How, how did you get from that point to that point?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question. I think um, I'm actually pretty fortunate. I had a few friends at the time uh, kind of asking around that had bought Bitcoin. And so I think that kind of helped me get over that risk aversion uh, kind of hump um, where I was initially like, you know, the interfaces at the time were just dreadful. Uh, And it, you know, really felt like you were sending $10 $10 into the deep unknown. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot better today, but even just connecting to an exchange, it took, you know, anywhere between seven to 10 business days um, for, you know, your KYC email to get approved. Um, you were in your head, you're like, I'm, I'm giving, you know, my driver's license, all this information to a company that I'm just really unsure about. And so that took some time. Um, so I think, uh, I learned about it 2017, 2018 kind of made the the first jump, um, into purchasing, uh, crypto. And for me specifically, it was Bitcoin, um, where I really, uh, understood the narrative around store of value. Um, Ethereum at the time, uh, it's come a really long way in terms of just, uh, how many transactions it's able to process, um, and how quickly money can be sent, uh, and Bitcoin was much easier for me at the time to, to get past that. So uh, went to an exchange, good old Coinbase, uh, first mover advantage and opened an account, bought some crypto, uh, and then just sat and waited until the ICO boom and, and bust uh, of later that year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, That um, I, I I was a little bit later. I, I started in 2019 um, when I uh, joined, I was starting a new role in, in the crypto space and I thought, well, I should probably figure yeah. <laughs> out for myself how it works. Uh-huh. Same thing. I, I started on Coinbase. I I was a little bit um, you know trepidatious at first and was dipping my toe in the water. So I think I I bought like fifty dollars the first time. But what I think is really cool about Bitcoin in a way is that you can buy fifty dollars worth of Bitcoin. Like you don't have to buy one whole Bitcoin um, as opposed to traditionally in the in the equity markets, um, I mean, until now, now there are a few platforms that offer fractional shares, but I mean, really, usually you have to buy the whole share. So if you're looking at a stock that's one, two, $3,000 or like Berkshire Hathaway, that's like at, I don't know, some insane hundreds of thousands of dollars now, like, you, you know, you can't get exposure to that asset without um, waiting to, to save up for, um, for the whole share or unless you're trading some kind of derivative of it. Um, which, which can get more, a little bit more complex and technical. So that, that was kind of one of the things that I thought was, was mm-hmm. inviting about at crypto for myself.
1: Well, so I'm so happy you bring this up uh, because I couldn't agree with you more. I think the fact that initially people thought I can only purchase one whole stock of Amazon, which if you think about it is three grand, that is not a cheap stock. And uh, the Robinhood trader that you were seeing more and more people going for these really bad penny stocks because suddenly it was affordable. I can own 10 of these. Um, And so I think the education aspect of owning partial uh, and the again it goes back to divisibility of just having a piece of something um, is still not there yet I actually get asked this uh, it's probably after how do I buy Bitcoin it's wait I can own uh, just a portion of it because um, it's expensive now you know you can't expect that most of the population is going to buy a 30k uh, full Bitcoin and so um, with that being said you know it's it's shocking to me how many people still don't realize I can just buy $10 of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think there's a huge, and there's also that, and there's a psychological aspect of wanting to own a whole thing. And so um, what we've seen is like, then you see people buy Bitcoin cash um, because it's a lot cheaper. Uh, you'll see people buy Litecoin because it's, you know, like the silver Um, of crypto and it's also more affordable it's around 140 now Um, and same thing with Ethereum you'll see some people who are like okay well I can't afford Bitcoin but I can't afford Ethereum Um, is that how I should think about this and it's like no no not at all because if (laughs) if Litecoin stays at 140 the entire year but Bitcoin's going up progressively you know 20% month over month you know your ten dollars will go a, a farther way um partially owning a big a piece of a bitcoin than owning an entire litecoin or ethereum
0: and this might be a good place to to talk a little bit or explain to some of the listeners who might be new about bitcoin versus some of the other cryptos or just the the um how wide that that ecosystem mm-hmm. is, right so um, yeah you know oh boy. Maybe <laughs> dive a little bit into that but i think Bitcoin's is obviously probably the most well-known and Um, maybe fact-checking on this, but I think the first one to have been created, um, although I'm sure there's, I mean, you know, there's always like things that are based off of something else. So maybe there was some precedent, but you know, the the white paper that was written, um, I believe in
1: 2009,
0: um, Mm -hmm. Satoshi Nakamoto, like that really established Bitcoin. And I think is really the first, we can call it cryptocurrency. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after that came, other people started other c- coins so you have ethereum you have litecoin you have a bunch of others that start you know kind of popping up and this is where you get almost into the icos which are um initial coin offerings where kind of it seemed like a lot of brand like
1: <laughs> you weren't sure who was yeah. what, yeah. and a lot of
0: stuff got put out there that
1: yeah
0: <laughs> more or less was successful um yeah yeah
1: Um, So I'll try to give a high level overview and please tell me if I go too deep down the rabbit hole uh, because it's likely that I do. But um, so completely agree with you. I think it's just incredible that this industry was born out of the 2008 U.S. financial crisis. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why um, this currency was made was because, uh, you know, there was doubt of trust of our institutions to be able to function Uh, properly without some level of inflation. um, And and that trust was hurt. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so it was like, how do we build a a trustless system where I don't even need to know who you are, who anyone else is, because this functions automatically based on code, um, and no one can tamper with it. So I think just at large, that's just such a cool birthplace of of crypto um that you know once once you're uh clear you can tell i'm very passionate about it but once you're like you're super set on that and um i think you're so deep down the rabbit hole it's uh um it it gets it just gets me super excited but um in terms of just the the separation of um crypto so there's the store of ass value which we discussed so it's going to be um, Bitcoin. There's Litecoin, which is like the um, silver version. There's Bitcoin cash. And then there's a few others um, that are more just like we are store of value. Then you have what I would break into uh, the centralized tokens and the decentralized tokens. So centralized was um, the initial phase of cryptocurrencies. And these were um, basically currencies that uh, were created as a form of payment rails, just moving money around. So you have XRP and you have Stellar XLM. Um, you've seen a lot of news about these, uh, and most recently, XRP was recently, which is also
0: known as Ripple. Um, for those yes, who, yeah, was was in the news by the S. Um, they they've been um, what's the word uh, flagged by the SEC, SEC So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. So what we, the industry kind of saw as a whole is that when you have a centralized currency, um, how are you any different than just a government with your own centralized monetary system like the US dollar and the Fed? Uh, and so the industry was like, okay, this is a good first step, let's move on to the next. And so you started moving towards decentralized currencies. Um, now, this is where I think it's it becomes really fascinating. Uh, so within decentralized, on one side, you have Um, the tokens, which are uh, utility, and then you have uh, the tokens, which are infrastructure. So on the infrastructure side, you have Ethereum. So that's uh, like the sister blockchain to Bitcoin. You have store of value, and then you have transaction support, uh, Ethereum. Competitors to Ethereum have come out, which include Polkadot. um, They include Solana. Um, and these are basically focused on different aspects that Ethereum is currently struggling with, which is um, just the speed at which you can send transactions uh, and the cost. Um, So right now, uh, basically even taking a step back, uh, going back to the Apple example that I gave (laughs) earlier, um, I'm going to pay you $10 for 10 apples on Jan 31st, um, and uh, I'm going to enter a contract with you that contract needs to get sent to the blockchain, so it automatically executes. And there's a cost to that, um, obviously just uh, in order for it to get confirmed. That cost is just called gas fees. Um, what happens is that when you know, it's a Sunday afternoon and no one's really buying uh, a lot of apples on the blockchain, um, that cost can be super low. But if you know the last six months, um, everyone's trying to buy a piece of crypto, that gas price can go upwards of a hundred dollars per transaction, sometimes uh, costing significantly more than what you're actually purchasing. Um, And so there have been competitors to this infrastructure uh, tokens. Um, And and each of these uh, infrastructure players like Polkadot have their tokens, similar to Ethereum, where you use the tokens uh, within that infrastructure. And that's just a pure go-to-market strategy where it's, uh, you know, we, we want people to build and grow within our infrastructure, um, within our marketplace. Uh, and so we're gonna supply them with the tokens uh, to just keep them within this bubble. So that's kind of on the infrastructure side. Um, on the utility aspect, this is I think where it gets so, so cool. Um, so going back to when we were super centralized payments, for example, with Stellar and Ripple, um, A lot of companies realized hey why don't we just take out all these middlemen and have the code execute by itself uh so let's say uh for borrowing so let's say i wanted to um borrow uh btc um, or usd i wanted to borrow usd in order to buy bitcoin because i didn't have that um that uh the money on hand today but let's say i was getting paid in five days
0: And I just want to note here for those of you new to is short it's usually a shortened version of Bitcoin. People just use it as an abbreviation similar to how USD is short for US dollar. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) No, this is good. (laughs)
1: Um, So let's say I'm getting paid in five days, but the price of Bitcoin uh, is 35k today and it might go up to 45k tomorrow. And so I want to borrow knowing that I'll pay back in five days. Um, So typically you would go to a bank and you'd pay pretty high. Uh, interest rate and most of that cost goes to the bank. Um, What crypto has done is created these all decentralized uh, communities where let's say uh, I want to borrow USD uh, but you're sitting on USD and you're comfortable giving uh, this lending company your USD because you're not using it and receiving interest directly. Um, I, on the other hand, am borrowing your USD and paying the interest, which is going to you directly, uh, and then paying it back in full in the five days. Uh, And so all of this is happening based on a code. It's again, it's going back to that if and statement. Mm -hmm. And so it's just complicated versions of this statement um, that create actionable uh, items. And the reason you're able to do that is because um, everything is stored on accessible wallets, and so you don't have these like bank, uh, banks that are holding your assets and are almost um, like the gateways of whether or not you can take money in and out um, and therefore charging fees on that. So I think uh, what's cool in, in more of the utility, we've seen projects come out again, the lending. So you have compound um, on the, the lending and borrowing it's compound, uh, you have decentralized uh, exchanges which is super cool. So instead of going to Coinbase, um, sometimes you get charged upwards of 2%. And a lot of that goes to the fact that they are a massive organization with over a thousand employees. And so they have costs to keep the lights on. Um, in a decentralized exchange, they're able to lower the fees because it's all run on code based mm-hmm. on people you know, giving up their, um, or, or lending uh, what they ha- are holding traditionally in a custodian or a wallet that they're not using for the use of the community in order to one, get paid, um, but also to lower fees and not have to you know, use these centralized players. Um, so I think the and I can dive into a bunch of examples on, on the utility side, but I, what I would say is super different than what you mentioned in the ICO bubble is um, during the ICO bubble, it was a lot of projects coming to market with a white paper asking to raise capital. And you know, it, it felt like there were no products at the time. What we're seeing today is that these products not only uh, these companies not only have products that are fully functional, but they have insane numbers of growth. And so there's stickiness, there's product market fit. Uh, it's almost like a no brainer. There isn't enough capital to give these companies to just decentralize a lot of this, um, and uh, and and build out you know safer easier ways for people to access money, um, across the board, uh, in, in an easy way. So I think, um, hopefully that was, that was a little clear, but, uh, that's super cool. I
0: think a great overview and breakdown of the different, um, you know, we tend to think of like the crypto ecosystem as like one thing and all the assets within it are kind of do the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's actually not true. And there's so many layers and variations. Um, and I think one question that comes up is for someone who, um, might be more new to the ecosystem or, or even people who exist in it, how have you found helpful to kind of discriminate between some of the more legitimate use use cases and some of the other, um, coins, which, you know, there's some kind of now famous or infamous, uh, cases like dogecoin and some of the others yeah. that are more, yeah uh that do get you know it, it definitely um gets caught up in in the news and becomes um kind of headline for 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 the industry which maybe is not always fair but on the other hand there is a lot out there that you mm-hmm. have your due diligence on
1: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm i'm super happy you brought that up because i think um one thing to so so a few things is that the media is is definitely a little unfair with crypto. And so to your point, I think everyone expects that you're going to be buying your Starbucks with Bitcoin, um, and no one understands why you would do that because obviously it's super volatile. And I don't think that's what the industry wants at all. So uh, definitely agree with you that I think the term cryptocurrency and even blockchain um, is just a label that doesn't really uh, well define what the uh, you know, just digital currency does um, mm-hmm. underneath. And uh, to your point around education. So so one thing I do want to say is this is a really young market, really young. And with that comes asymmetry of information. And because of asymmetry of information, that's why people are so excited. And there's still really large amounts of arbitrage and premiums um, that exist in the market so i mean it's you don't see in mature markets where an asset class goes up 300 percent um that's that's typically just uh the fact that you know it it is very young and and nascent with that being said um i i would say that it, it really boils down to a few things and and you you really hit the nail on the head it's becoming doing your own due diligence um almost as an investor but having fun with it and so like before i touch any currency at all um i kind of boil it down to three different things one the team so who who's the team who's the co-founder the co-founders um who's the cto what are their backgrounds um have they built a project like this before uh do they have a large data security and engineering team um you know is this something where uh it feels a little ponzi where um you know perhaps no one has the right skill set or is it something where you look at the team and you're like wow you know like I trust these folks to build anything. Um, So team's super important. The next um, two, in addition to team, is also just the backing. Uh, So um, there's no need to recreate the wheel. There are very large venture funds that go through this process and kind of do the due diligence um, Mm. on behalf of their limited partners. I think one of the things, this misconception is is a mistrust of venture capitalists and and wanting to go beyond what some of these VCs have done. I think just pick the venture funds that um, you really like a specific investor, listen to some podcasts about them, follow their Twitter. If you really like their thesis, their hypothesis on the space then absolutely, you know, no need to recreate the wheel. Just look at some of the projects they've invested in and, and go through the due diligence yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's just like the, the team in the backing. Um, compliance. Uh, so you know, how, how long has this protocol been around and how much money has gone through the protocol? Um, so let's say with the lending company that I gave an example of, Compound, um, it you know, has billions of dollars in trading volume a month and hasn't had a, a bug or a hack yet. And so in my mind, I consider it to be risk, le- less risky than let's say you know, a protocol that just popped up um, a few months ago for, for lending. And so um, in comparison, maybe the price is more expensive, but you pay that because you, you feel like it's a safer asset. Um, so that's the compliance and security. And then the last is um, just ease of use. Uh, You know, a lot of these currencies, um, and this is another topic, but a lot of these currencies are listing on different platforms. And so, is it available on Coinbase? Is it available through a decentralized exchange? Um, How difficult is it to access this currency? And if it's super difficult to access the currency, uh, then how many, what types of people are currently accessing it, uh, and how widespread? Uh, is adoption there? So um, those are kind of the three things I would I, w- I would look at, um, and and really the biggest thing that uh, has worked out for me. Having worked at Pantera Capital, um, Joey Krug is one of my number one fans. Uh, I just absolutely adore him and. Um I one day just went through all of the people he follows on Twitter and followed all of them. And I will say that it has created a very curated uh, Twitter feed for me. So um, crypto Twitter is, is a big source of some of that information as well.
0: Yeah, this is um, a good segue into one of the questions I have, which is like, what resources do you use and leverage to kind of stay up to date with the industry or like, You know, Mm -hmm. read about it. Uh, I also am recently an an ad to crypto Twitter and I kind of did the same thing. I like looked at a few people and yeah, uh, all the people they follow um, Uh Uh and have become like, yeah, into crypto Twitter. Um, My, I guess my one thing about crypto Twitter right now, and maybe this is just um, based on the recent bull run that happened, it became a little, it felt a little like echo chambery of everyone was talking about like Bitcoin price, Bitcoin price is what I think it will go out. And I was like, okay. This is really cool, but like I also want to like hear about the other stuff that's going on in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, it just uh, so maybe there's some some additional resources that you have found helpful. I should be looking at
1: yeah yeah so um I completely agree with you. It was almost unbearable. I think I took like a hiatus for a little bit um because <laughs> it was just like the price during the like December rally. um so yeah, I completely agree. I think one thing um that I recommend on on crypto twitter is uh, so two points on this. The first is just follow the projects that you're really passionate about because typically um the executive team. Uh, of that protocol isn't going to be, you know, pumping the price. They're just going to be giving updates on on what they're building. So I, I always think um, just uh, uh, you know maybe maybe less of the the larger asset allocators and more of the um, you know the the builders of of some of these um, startups. And then the second is uh, I had a colleague recently tell me um, that they ran a bunch of data analytics and a lot of the price movement in some of these assets were actually uh happening before uh crypto twitter um was discussing these topics so crypto twitter is actually reactionary uh Mm -hmm. to um a lot of this investments the investments that are happening and so one thing i would be really wary of is um you know don't uh someone might just be selling the investment to you um and so just keep that in mind and and don't take anything on twitter as investment advice because it's likely uh, that the investment has happened, uh, and now uh, you know some folks are just trying to build that momentum around the project. Um, so I think those are really interesting. And then to your point around resources, DeFi Pulse is awesome. Um, it's one of my favorite resources for just uh, giving a really comprehensive list of all things decentralized. So again, in the in the last use case of um, just how do we get rid of all middlemen and and what's the best use case for crypto here in finance, I think it does a really phenomenal job. Um, Twitter, ICO Analytics. I know the name doesn't sound great, but it uh, this Twitter account uh, and Telegram account just sends you really small blurbs um, just in terms of news announcement, fundraising, uh, new projects that are listing on exchanges and what exchanges, um, any new announcements. I found it to be really easy to digest if you just want like quick updates um, on certain projects they've been, their coverage is really, really great. Uh, and then the last, um, I personally love podcasts. Um, and so I've had a chance to listen to, um, a bunch of different ones. Um, you know, I think, uh, one that I previously, uh, recently really enjoyed was Dan Moorhead and Mike Novogratz, um, -hmm. on a podcast together discussing just the evolution of, of institutions coming into this space. I think that's, uh, definitely, uh, the wave that we're seeing now. and so. a really good listen and of course this podcast. So <laughs> one can
0: hope that I like reached that level of uh esteem and actually being a good podcast. So you're
1: there. We'll get you there.
0: <laughs> um, yeah those are those are great. I, I think some of the places I pers- I've signed up for some different newsletters that people write in the industry. Um, I also read, I mean, I I do go to like Coindesk um or the block crypto. Um mm-hmm. Bloomberg does a fair bit of crypto mm-hmm. reporting. Um, you know, there's some different outlets that are more mainstream outlets. Like Wall Street Journal sometimes has some stuff on crypto, not always, um, but that's more like high level. I think if you're really trying to go more into the weeds, I would recommend, yeah, some more crypto focused um news outlets um or or just resources
1: yeah yeah I agree and I think the other thing I've, I've uh, seen about this industry too I'd be curious if you've gotten a similar take but um, people just love to talk about what they're working on in this space uh, mm-hmm. and and I've never heard someone say no um, to jumping on a a call, uh, regardless of whether or not they know you. And so um, (laughs) I think, uh, you know, if there is someone that you find super interesting on Twitter and you DM them um, about something, there's a high likelihood that they will respond. So I think that's also pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually true because, um, you know, I jumped on Twitter earlier this year. I I was going to say earlier this year, but now we're 2021. So earlier, (laughs) funny. And really got more, um, more involved and it was fascinating how fast, even without really like being very proactive in, in direct messaging people or like, you know, mm-hmm. how fast people started to like follow me or, um, and I don't even, I mean, I don't have that many followers or anything, but, um, just how like interactive that, uh, space is, um, yeah. on, on that platform. So, um, I'm I'm still, I, I haven't really jumped into the Telegram space, which I know is also an active Twitter or crypto kind of area, but maybe that'll be for 2021. <laughs> <laughs>
1: one of the uh, questions that I get a lot as well um, is specific to, and this is actually not even crypto specific. Um, one of the questions I get a lot is, Uh, just how to earn yield, and what Mm -hmm. is yield, and then what is the different risk tolerances of that yield. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, for example, um, I would say one of the most important lessons is making your money work for you. Um, And so whether that's in like a Marcus Goldman account, that's earning 2% on just USD, or it's even on you holding uh, Bitcoin in BlockFi and earning upwards of 8%. Um, I think it's so, so important uh, that if you're not using uh, any of your assets and you're comfortable, you don't need that liquidity um, and you're comfortable with the counterparty risk of some of these players, um, you know, like Marcus Goldman and for me BlockFi, uh, that you earn yield on assets that are just sitting there. Um, Sue cannot emphasize this enough, I get that question. A lot. Um, it's just make your money work for you, uh, and you know everything. Everything has a value associated to it.
0: And let's just um, clarify. So yield, you get asked sometimes, like, what is yield? And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the, um, you know, I think in finance and, and in crypto, we have all this lingo that um, sometimes is difficult for someone coming from the outside to parse. So if you could explain um, yield in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. I would call it maybe interest or just earning money on your money sitting somewhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just earning, um, earning money on money that you have that someone else wants. So (laughs) whatever you, you have, typically someone wants it and they'll pay for it. Um, And so being able to get paid on just holding money um, is really, really, really important. It compounds, um, and, uh, even if it's 10 bucks a month, um, that after 20 years can turn into a significant amount of money.
0: Well, and in, in, in traditional finance, I mean, that's just the idea of like you putting your money in a bank, that bank usually will put that money to work, either lending it out and then you get paid some, um, you know, if you're like some of my money's in a checking savings account earning very, very little yield. Yeah. Interest rates are so low right now.
1: In- right. Um, yeah, e- exactly. Exactly. So so I always get the question too, and especially now when there are multiple platforms to use mm-hmm. for retail, it's like, you know, okay, I, I've gotten over this hump of wanting to buy crypto, so mm-hmm. where do I buy it? Um, and... I think it really just depends on, on what you want. So, for example, um, I've kind of challenged myself to use all of them to just uh, give good advice, I would hope. Um, this is not investment advice, but <laughs> uh, just be able to recommend good things. Um, but for me, like, for example, I really like Cash App because uh, for Bitcoin, which, you know, typically have a recurring payment Um, so I like to buy weekly and this is just dollar cost averaging it's the best it means I'm not timing the market I'm not an active trader uh, and so if the price of bitcoin is 40k this week but 20k next week I don't care because I'm just buying every week and so it's averaging out um, pretty well for me and what's great about cash app is that you own the underlying crypto and you can send it wherever you want because the keys are yours Um, that's super important and,
0: and just to, yeah, so to clarify for those who might not know Cash App, it's um, now owned by Square, um, and they, you can also invest in, in some equities um, as well through their platform. Mm-hmm. So right now they own, uh, I believe they only offer Bitcoin as the only um, crypto, mm-hmm. but it is, it is there and I also um, use it and it is very, yeah, I, I like it for similar reasons. So
1: easy. Yeah, very, they absolutely crushed usability and, and just yes. user experience. Um, So there's Cash App, there's obviously Coinbase and Coinbase, I would say, um, is you're looking for a wide range of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, it's going to be structured like an exchange. Um, So there's going to be a lot of features and tools where if you want to get really creative about how you're trading or learn how to trade, that's a great place to go. Um, It's either Coinbase or Kraken, Gemini. Uh, These are all US based exchanges. Uh, that offer like a wide range um, of different currencies, mm-hmm. in addition to offering things like lending, um, depending on risk limits and, and such.
0: Yeah, um, a couple others that I use, and um, I know there's, uh, I've I've heard different opinions about about this for crypto in particular, but I have used Robinhood in the past for crypto mm, mm-hmm. and equities as well, but. Um, uh, that's that's one that offers a few currencies. Um, PayPal just recently launched their their crypto kind of side on their app um, as Mm -hmm. well. I'm trying to think of, I'm just like looking at my phone, like what Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I was just gonna say, so I used to buy um, Bitcoin too on on Robinhood until I realized that you actually don't own the underlying. uh, And so what that really means is, let's say I wanna move the Bitcoin into like a, an interest bearing account, I have to sell out of it. Um, and so, uh, that really, really sucks. <laughs> um, because it means you don't really own it. You own the price at which you, you bought it. Um, and so, uh, I think, um, that's super important. The only other one I would, I would also add is, is I mentioned this, um, is BlockFi. Uh, they up to a certain amount, um, for retail, they have uh, decent, Um, interest on, let's say you you can buy Bitcoin there and then just store it. They will lend it out, as you mentioned in the bank use case, uh, and pay you upwards of 8%. So um, I think that's, it's great, again, upwards of you becoming a large institution, um, then the interest uh, declines, but it's great um, initially. And they pay that interest in Bitcoin. uh, And so if the value continues to rise, uh it's great.
0: <laughs> and and to compound, yeah. Yeah. This might be a good place for it um to kind of break down the difference between some of these platforms and online exchanges and apps that you can use to buy Bitcoin, but there's also a whole other kind of side to the ecosystem, which is wallets and um you know cold wallets versus hot like hot wallets. Um so mm-hmm. something like I recently uh tried out like a ledger, which is um a wallet and I found um, the UX, like the usability of that, a little bit more. It's more steps. Like you have to do some KYC. You have to get the the um, the wallet. You have to mm-hmm. do a few steps to log in and and um, buy the coin or or transfer the coin to your wallet. Um, whereas some of these platforms and that have particularly mobile apps, you can just download a mobile app and start. As, as long as you move money into the account, you can start. Um, purchasing coin. So I don't know if you have thoughts there.
1: Yeah, this is a really important topic. Um, ownership and security. Security, you, yeah, exactly right. Hot wallets versus um, cold. And what that means is if it's a hot wallet, it's connected to the internet. If it's a cold wallet, it's completely disconnected. Uh, and so you have basically these USB drives ledgers uh, where you can connect them. Um, you can transfer your crypto onto the USB drive disconnected and it's stored. It's unhackable. It's not connected to the internet. This is the safest way to store your crypto. When you're on an exchange, um, I would say it's the highest risk because it is a hot wallet uh, that is um, stored in a very centralized place. So exchanges will create thousands of wallets, but there have notably, especially this last year, been a lot of exchange hacks and these are not FDIC insured. And so my Biggest recommendation to folks is always: if you use an exchange, you're buying your crypto. That's great. Then take it off. Never leave assets on exchange because you're exposing yourself to massive counterparty risk. And the higher the value of crypto goes, the higher uh, frequency of of financial hacks will happen. This is just exactly what happens at banks. It's nothing different. Um, and exchanges are the best target because they're very centralized and they sit on a significant amount of capital. And so always remove from exchanges on some of these mobile apps, just you can read um, through FAQs, super important. What's the custody on it? Is it hot, is it cold? Um, Sometimes you can pay more for it to be cold. Uh, The only thing that happens with cold storage, again, if it's disconnected from the internet, it just takes more time to reconnect, gain access to it and send. Um, But all all something to be super aware of. Um, I actually recently got hacked Uh, It was pretty dreadful. Um, It was on a hot wallet, and uh, it was a lesson to be learned. Always have a cold wallet, um, which creates a 2FA uh, on the hot wallet um, to secure it uh, because, um, you know, it is all connected to the internet, and these are um, very uh, new products, and so it's important to know your risk, um, you know, before before uh making these purchases or using some of these platforms
0: i think that's a, a great point and one that um i'm glad you brought up because security and as we've seen different um you know uh hackings and and that definitely is not something you know you want to have happen to you and i'm sorry that it that it happened to you lesson. <laughs> uh yeah learning learning the hard way i guess um and I think this this is also you know to tie it to you know some of the questions that I've gotten from friends. There's there was a recent article I believe in the New York Times, um, and then there was a few an article several years back in Wired magazine about um, uh, people who had wallets who lost their um, passwords or, or or keys to to these um, wallets and couldn't get them unlocked. Um, and basically, these things are so secure that if you end up like losing all. Yeah. Access codes. You want to make sure you have those in a safe place because you like they cannot be. um, uh, You know, it's very difficult to hack them. So yeah, yeah. um, Then yeah, you you. It's difficult to retrieve that that value and that Bitcoin. And I think that's what the these articles have talked about is Mm -hmm. people being locked out of their wallets.
1: Yeah, it's uh. Oh, I've had so many people reference this article to me. Um, no, yeah, <laughs>
0: message it to me, and we're like
1: <laughs> the same one. one. <laughs>
0: like, yes, it's the same. don't do this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there is no like forget my password button on these. Um, but I would say to like one thing that's super super important about all of this is is also um just the first off like when you're storing the ledger write down the password put the password in the safe at the bank you know like that's the safest place but have it written down somewhere uh there are you know ways that we can um use the current infrastructure to store these things and so i think that's that's one easy way um and uh yeah the the second is i think um don't fact check me on this, uh, but I think it's upwards of like 9% of all crypto is now, um, completely, uh, lost in terms of, you know, no passwords. And so it's a significant portion of crypto, uh, Bitcoin, sorry, specifically, um, that's inaccessible. Uh, but again, doesn't impact the 21 million total supply. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um, cool. So, um, just want to go through some other questions that I got when I, I asked um, some of the listeners and people who follow wallet three you know kind of what um, what their common questions about crypto was um, one of the common ones was what what is it <laughs> to start with which I think we've we've covered um, uh, but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add um, I, uh, I think we kind of talked about how it's digital money and, and how you can purchase it. It's a store of value. Um, in some cases, you can actually use it to do uh, a transaction, but that I would say is, is more secondary at this point um, mm-hmm. in terms of its use case. Um, what can you purchase with it? Maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the, the points you had noted around um, fiat and stable coins that might be an interesting thing for listeners to care about
1: yeah i think stable coins are really cool um and so uh basically what a stable coin means is that it's pegged one-to-one to the underlying uh fiat so for example for usdc it's the stable coin for us dollars um which is pretty cool and um right now In terms of uh, what you can purchase with it, um, I would say it's pretty limited to just the crypto ecosystem and primarily limited to um, financial instruments. So we still haven't expanded to, and this is something you'll hear over and over again, but like what's the real world use case and adoption that's gonna get this completely widespread. So no one's buying uh, their Starbucks with USDC just yet, Um, but it's really uh, what, what, is super great about um, the ultimate use case that I've seen really work is remittances and that's just sending payments across borders. So let's say I have family internationally instead of using Western Union where it costs 7%, um, which is incredibly expensive. Yeah. And you know, yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Um, day and so uh on mlk you know bank, it's a bank holiday and so you can't uh send money um and on weekends you can't send money but let's say there's a family emergency and you need to send money same day stable coins run on just uh you know crypto payments that run 24 7 and so i think that use case and they're, it's cheap and so you're just paying you know i don't know it's, it's gonna be like 0.01 percent in comparison to seven which if you think for remittances, that's really significant. Um, and so that, that's a great use case that I've seen that uh, whether it's B2B payments, um, you know, the entire shipping industry needs to send payments um, that you know, has to, sometimes if it's a bank holiday and you don't receive the payment on let's say Monday, then you can't ship out the goods until Tuesday. But imagine if you receive the payment because you know, you're not abiding by bank holidays um, and you could ship it immediately, I think uh, the efficiency there um, is going to uh, significantly increase. And so personally, um, payments, I mean, I mean, even if you think about between friends, you know, when you receive a Venmo and then let's say someone's paying you for rent, you receive a Venmo you want to transfer it to your bank and they're like okay two days um and you're like well <laughs> let's hope I have you know either paid it in full and had the full balance in my account or I'm basically lending out money and paying interest on it for two days because of bank infrastructure and, and clearing and settling and so um I think about it first as a as more of like think about just all the times you use money and send money um and how that could be faster and easier and, and I don't know if if folks have been on it to China, but like you pay everything through your phone and Apple pay and think about how much easier that's made things. Um, And so now think about if you had just this wallet sitting on your phone um, that you could access 24 seven and what that might do.
0: Yeah. And this gets back to, I mean, again, the conversation we were having around settlement, um, you know, and more um, of like asset management and trading, how it can take time to settle. It's the same thing with moving money. You know, like you mentioned the bank holidays, um, it can take time for your bank to move to mm-hmm. move that money, um, around. And, um, you know, this, these kinds of, uh, coins offer a way to make that faster. And I think that's mm-hmm. for me, what I see just personally, when, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, stuff in the news about Facebook and their, um, uh, you know, announcement around uh, what was called Libra, and now they've they've changed the name to DM. But I see the a, a first use case right off the bat is they have you know billions of users across a variety of countries and a, across a variety of financial systems. Um, you know, myself, I have family abroad, mm-hmm. and you know, think about if I could send money quickly through that network rather than through a bank network that takes mm-hmm. or takes time. Um, you've seen that, you know, that's what I see as, as a possible use case. Um, when people ask me like, why is, why is Facebook doing this? Um, so, uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of different applications I think that we'll continue to, to see, and we don't even quite know yet what they will be. Um, it's just so new and, and nascent.
1: It's really exciting, <laughs> I know it's it's uh I'm so excited to see you know I mean um I, I'm just lazy, so you know the ability of not having to use my wallet to apple pay for things has significantly improved my life, yeah, so <laughs> I'm super excited to you know send Venmos and automatically you know mm-hmm. deposit into my bank and the ability to send your paycheck immediately to places without delays um, yeah. I think the the sky's the limit um. But, you know, to your point, it's it's going to be really felt internationally more so than in the U.S.
0: Yeah. Um, and uh, well, and to to go back to where you started, especially, you know, we're in the U.S. where the U.S. dollar is fairly stable. You know, um, there's there's trust or, you know, generally trust behind um, the backing of the U.S. government behind the dollar. But there's a lot of countries abroad where people don't have that similar faith right. in the sovereign currency um, and in the local currency and you know you were talking about Venezuela at this top there's there's plenty of other examples we could we could go into, but um, I think that becomes even more important when you're in in a place where where the 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 local currency is not as secure and mm-hmm.
1: stable. yeah, yeah i I completely agree it's it's uh, it's always the question that comes up where it's I don't understand the use case here, but I think that's the privilege that we have in the us um, where if you go to like Southeast Asia or South America. Uh, It's much clearer.
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess lastly, I just kind of wanted to, as we wrap up here, because I I realized we just uh, how much time has passed, but I've really enjoyed (laughs) our conversation, and I'm sure there's more we can do. Um, Me too. Yeah, it's been fun. (laughs) Is there anything you know you've you've learned now, or you know now that when you started first investing in crypto that you wish you had known, or kind of any lessons learned?
1: Yeah, the dollar cost averaging is the biggest one. Um, I think I associated so much stress with trying to time the market uh, mm-hmm. and realizing that, like, even if I was buying a hundred dollars at you know ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin and suddenly went to twenty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, I'm not making two hundred dollars. The amount of Bitcoin I'm making, I maybe make like ten dollars. And so, if I think about like how much my my like mental health and stress is worth. I'm happy to pay $10 of a premium to just dollar cost to average it. And I think uh, that was a huge lesson to, for me because I constantly get this wave of friends who, you know, there's a 20%, this, this is a super volatile asset class. And so when the price moves 20%, you know, friends are calling me that like, should I sell? And it's like, you have to think 10 years and have a 10 year investment horizon. And that's not just for crypto. That's really for for anything, unless you want to be like an active options trader. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that was, that was great learning for me. I slept much better at night after, after that. And I, uh, I mean, the second is, is really security. Um, obviously it's uh, it's really not something that just because you don't understand it, you shouldn't learn more about it. Um, I think it's the first thing you should understand before you make a purchase is um, just what are the risks of this? And once you're comfortable with the risks, and you're comfortable with the price moving 20, 30% a day, um, then, uh, you, you know, and you have that long-term horizon, and you're thinking where can this product take off in 10 years, um, then I think you're, you have the right mindset to explore, you know, beyond just the top five, top 10.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you really particularly, like, enjoy about crypto or the process of, of following it? I mean, you, you work in the industry, so... Um, and you've talked about your interest in it but um any piece of it that you find really fascinating or enjoyable
1: yeah i would say or the, the people are side,
0: or on the flip side could be better like something you think the industry needs to do better at
1: oh yeah we need to diversify um <laughs> that is <Yeah>. most definitely <laughs> as yeah. i mentioned to you we we are wall street um you know in in the 80s and 90s uh, so we we definitely have a lot of work Um, to do on the diversification front. Uh, Outside of that, you know, the people, um, that being said, the people are are really great. I think, again, going back to the point of how easily people want to have these conversations, I think um, that really speaks to the fact that everyone enjoys learning. Crypto, I always say this, crypto is a three-month cycle. So every three months, there's something new. You know, there's DeFi, and then it's a Bitcoin bull market, and now it's back to like the altcoin market, and it's really exhausting. And so, uh, the people that are that work in it and are super committed to learning about it end up being like really fun to be around, and talk to, and have these types of conversations where you know I could I could stay on for a couple of hours. I think we like I really enjoyed this. So, um, I I think you know getting to know the people and and you know listening to these podcasts and going to these virtual events and, and reaching out and, and connecting with these folks who are, who are build just, I think this idea of challenging what we've become really comfortable with um, is a really interesting perspective. And then you can take that really anywhere. Um, and it's, it's cool to see it grow.
0: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and especially on the diver- diversification point, I think the industry definitely, um, has a ways to go in terms of diversifying and, and, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, bringing particularly more women in, (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. why I'm very very (laughs) excited, um, to talk with you today about this. Um, anything else before we, we wrap up any last thoughts? Um, Otherwise I'll move to my, my last and favorite question that, that I asked, but that's on a different topic. So
1: this is it for me. This has been so much fun. I, I, uh, I get so excited talking about these things. I'll start to like ramble in 15 directions. And so, um, thank you so much for, for having me. This has been just such a blast.
0: No, thank you. I'm so glad um, you agreed to do this and it was super, you know, I learned uh, a ton and, um, I think, you know, especially for, those questions that I get from friends or family about, um, you know, what, what it's all about or what should I know? This is a great hopefully overview for them about, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just point them when they ask me that I'll, rather than giving them my own spiel, I'll just be like, just go listen yeah. to it and We'll talk in an hour. Oh boy. <laughs> um, but great. Well, thank you so much. And before I wrap up, I always love to ask and get recommendations on either something you're reading or music you're listening to or something you're watching that you've enjoyed recently um that you'd like uh-huh. to
1: share. so um you know this is gonna sound pretty basic but obviously the queen's gamut on yes. uh, netflix has been pretty good quite the hit
0: <laughs> it was great <laughs>
1: <laughs> started picking up the chess back up again um which is uh, i realized it was so bad but it's fine um, I, am uh, finishing up Obama's, uh, book right now. Um, and then, uh, personal great reads. I highly recommend is, uh, Schwarzman's Blackstone, um, or Blackstone's, uh, how to build successful companies is just like tons of great life lessons in that one. And then, um, I'm also at the same time reading the world, uh, by Richard Haas, um, who is a former Uh, diplomat and uh, U.S. uh, government advisor, foreign advisor. Um, And it's uh, a good read for just understanding, um, you know, global politics and economics. And so (laughs) I feel like this makes me a very dry person, but.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's great. Um, It's been nice. (laughs) Well read read and informed person. (laughs) Trying
1: to diversify out of crypto.
0: um that's awesome yeah i've i've um i also have obama's book on my um on my nightstand um i got it for christmas so i'm uh uh-huh.
1: um, yeah it's good
0: uh i haven't started yet though i just um finished a book uh, it's a fiction book but it's actually based on a real story about a reporter turned Um, resistance kind of fighter and leader in France in World War II and it's called Code Name Helen um, Uh based on this true story of a woman named Nancy Wake who was just like unbelievable and Mm -hmm. such a badass and I just really really could not put that down so highly recommend that Um, and the other thing I listened to recently was um, this true crime podcast called The Thing About Pam which is Uh (laughs) uh, a wild ride i also um kind of binge listen to so if anyone's a true crime fan I, I recommend that podcast series which i think came out in, in 2019 but it's it's done by dateline and they do a really good job so um, okay great i do
1: have a get terrible nightmares, so i might pass on that last yeah, one but then code made... name helen sounds great
0: <laughs> yeah i had to listen to it like in night with people. oh
1: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Not when i was by myself um, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, Aya, and, you know, best of luck and hope we can have you back again at some point. Um, this was super interesting and helpful. So I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It was fun.
0: Thank you. And thanks listeners. Um, as always, you can subscribe on Apple podcasts or sign up for my newsletter. Um, it's at walletstreet.squarespace.com. I have not updated the URL yet um, to <laughs> <laughs> so it's still there. Um, thanks and goodbye.